This podcast is sponsored by Agroplante. Imagination, innovation, science in action. We're thrilled to announce the North Valley Nut Conference taking place on January 31st at the Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. Held in conjunction with UC Cooperative Extension, this is a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to success in your orchards. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on latest industry trends. Listen to expert speakers share valuable insights and practical advice. Attendance is filling up fast, so visit myaglife.com events and register today. That's myaglife.com events. As a disclaimer, views expressed in interviews are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of My Ag Life, JCS Marketing, and its employees. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry, West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. All right. Hi, welcome to My Ag Life. Today we're talking with Brittany Goodrich, Assistant Professor of Cooperative Extension in the Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics at UC Davis about the 2024 almond pollination season outlook, how to cut pollination expenses and other considerations. Welcome back to the show, Brittany. Thanks. It's great to be here as always. Yep. Great to have you here again. So Brittany, 2024 expects a higher estimated demand for honeybee colonies compared to 2023. However, this is in conjunction with, you know, recent years of higher almond acreage removals. Why are we still seeing a higher estimated demand? Yeah, so this is a good question. And I I mean, it is a little bit complicated because the way I calculate estimated demand for colonies uh, is, I mean, these are purely based on my estimates, uh, based on USDA numbers. I use two hives per acre for traditional varieties, and I have used one hive per acre for self-fertile varieties. Um, And these are all reported by USDA um, in their, their almond acreage report. So it should be noted that Uh, Their almond acreage report is released at a little bit of a different time than what the land IQ numbers come out. So there might be a little discrepancy here in terms of, you know, I I estimated in 2023 that about 1.4 million almond acres required 2.6 million colonies. I estimate this year in 2024, we're at about 2.7 million colonies uh, of demand, but those that's all said um, with the caveat that the the um, the removals might not all be factored into those numbers yet. So I I kind of anticipate the demand for 2024 being relatively similar to that of 2023. Uh, it might be slightly higher just because. We saw, according to Land IQ removals in 2023, we saw about 6% of varying acreage was being removed, and some of that was older acreage. So we can't, we still have some, you know, younger acreage that is still coming into production, which leads to an increased demand. So 
again, it's it's sort of uh, almost a wash in, in what I can predict from the, the uh, stats that are available, but I would say demand is fairly similar to what it was going to be last year. Definitely. I, I'm curious on that. So you say that the the acreage that's coming into production kind of plays into that. Um, does the the plantings of you know more self pollinating varieties over the years also factor into this conversation at all? Yeah, it does somewhat. Um, however, and I'm I'm not prepared to give you a percentage of the acreage off the top of my head that is in self fertile. Um, but from what I, you know, what I figured it's, it's really not that big of a percentage of the acreage at this point. So it's not really having that big of an impact yet. Now there have been, you know, new varieties coming online, like the Urizani variety. Um, hopefully I said that correctly, but, uh, you know, that we don't know because that just came online, I guess, like two years ago, one year ago now. And so those aren't going to be bearing yet. Um, and they don't show up in the USDA acreage report yet either because there's not enough acreage to to um, warrant that. So it's it's a little bit up in the air, but I still don't think we've seen enough self-fertile self acreage come online to actually make a huge dent. Um, and I will say, I, I like to bring this up whenever I talk about self-fertile acreage, because they have, there's been scientific studies that have shown that honeybee colonies do substantially increase yields in self-fertile acreage. So uh, chances are, if you're, uh, if a grower is growing self-fertile variety and they're not putting bees in their orchard, they're likely getting bees from somebody orchard, somebody's orchard nearby. So if we do end up with a sufficient amount of self-fertile acreage, uh, we might have to start, you know, putting out uh, honeybee colonies in those self-fertile orchards. Otherwise, you know, all of the the self-fertile and the non-perel are going to start seeing yield decreases because there's just not enough honeybee colonies. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in there as well. Definitely. Thanks for clarifying that. And onto the bees themselves, Brittany, you know, colony loss in 2023, I understand was was pretty high. Um, how will that affect supply for, for 2024, if at all? Yeah, that was that was um something that was really surprising to me uh last year because we did have uh I think it was the second highest colony loss rates on record since the Bee Informed Partnership started collecting uh, colony loss information way back in like 2007. Um, and so from USDA numbers, it looks like um, we used virtually 99% of the colonies that were in the U.S. for almond pollination last year. Um, and so that's pretty startling because we had been hovering around you know, 89 to 90%, but because of those drastic colony losses, um, you know, we were using most of the colonies. Um, and so that can have, you know, lingering effects on uh, just the commercial beekeeping industry in general. So, you know, if they lose 50% of their colonies, they're going to have to replace those colonies 
and it's expensive. So they either have to purchase queens and package bees from queen producers, or they have to split their own colonies once they're large enough. Um, and so that does cost a lot of money. So there could be some of these lingering effects of it's just, it, it's going to take a while for some of these commercial beekeepers to build back up their, their colony numbers. It's going to be more expensive. So then um, there's potential they don't have as much cash flow to actually, um, you know, be feeding their bees and giving them pollen patties in order to build them up to the eight frame strength that we're used to getting here in California. Um, so there are some potential effects of those those large losses. And then I always kind of want to point out that in particular, uh, during the summer months, the weather in, you know, the the areas, the honey producing areas of the U.S. So the, this is North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Minnesota, um, that plays a really important role in making sure we have pretty healthy beehives. Um, and we saw last year some drought-like conditions in Minnesota and Texas, which are um, oftentimes large honey-producing states, uh, a little bit of drought-like conditions in North Dakota. So that is also something to watch out for, too, because when there's a drought in one of these areas, the bees coming out are just not as uh, necessarily healthy as um, they could be if it wasn't a drought-like condition. Certainly. One thing I want to clarify, going back to the numbers, you said that um, it, you know, the number of colonies California uses year on a year by year basis, typically in the eighty to ninety percent range. Um, so, would is the fact that California last year using you know ninety nine percent of the colonies and that damage rate um, also being or the the colony loss rate also being high. Does that correlate with the fact that we just simply used more bees or was there like a trend, you know, you know, was there a different trend that could have just led to more loss? No. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And it's purely just because we're using about the same number of bees, but because we had such high winter mortality rates, there were just fewer bees to go around. Mm -hmm. And so that meant were, you know, using most of the bees because a lot of them died off and, and were not viable candidates to actually bring to California. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of where uh, in a normal year we would still probably be using last year, we still would have used 89 to 90 percent of the colonies. It's just that those winter mortality rates of almost 30 percent or I think they were higher than that um, now that I think about it. Uh, just are detrimental and and really decrease the supply of available colonies. Certainly. Thanks for that, Brittany. And we're going to get into the expenses portion of pollination here right after a word from our sponsors. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. 
Agroplante, imagination, innovation, science in action. Hi, we're back talking with Brittany Goodrich, Assistant Professor of Cooperative Extension in the Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics at UC Davis about the 2024 almond pollination season outlook, how to cut pollination expenses and other considerations. Brittany, what are you seeing in terms of almond pollination fee trends uh, between last year, 2023, and, and this year? You know, what's expected? Well, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier and where, you know, we're seeing a demand that's pretty, it's kind of stabilized at right around 2.6 to 2.7 million colonies. So I really anticipate uh, almond pollination fees being fairly similar to what they were last year. So just for some frames of reference, um, the twenty or the, the California State Beekeepers Association always surveys their their beekeepers every year, and so I can give you a few numbers from that. So, um, and I always give differing numbers based on different colony strength categories because growers um, and and beekeepers sometimes like to switch between lower strength versus higher strength colonies, and so. Um, in last year's survey, so for 2023 almond pollination, uh, low strength colony, colonies, which were four to six active frames, were going for about $178 per colony. The eight frame standard colony strength was right at $198 per colony. Um, and then the larger colony strength, so 10 to 12 active frames, we're at about $205 per colony. So that just kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what the 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 fees were last year. They the beekeepers association also asked for 2024 projections, so the fees for the next year. That was on average around $209 per colony. Um, so it, I mean, it seems it, that sounds a little higher, but then you also have to factor in that we didn't split that up by different colony strength categories. Um, so I would expect that we're right around the same fees, maybe a little increase, um, in pollination fee, just because we saw those high winter mortality rates last year. Um, but I would expect everything to be fairly similar to, to last year. Certainly. Well, maybe not due to the all, almond pollination fees themselves, but the, the fact that almonds prices are still fairly low. Growers might be looking to to cut expenses in 2024, maybe looking at pollination even. Um, I'm just curious how growers can maybe deviate from you know this standard hive requirement that that most follow year by year while while still meeting the minimum standards defined by the crop insurance programs that, you know, they have to follow. Is, is there any flexibility there for the grower? Yeah, so there is definitely flexibility. Um, and I always really encourage growers to have a conversation with your crop insurance agent um, about this, because the reality is most almond acres are insured by federal crop insurance. And, um, you know, having too few bees is not an insurable cause of loss. So you really want to make sure that you're you're meeting these requirements. And so the way that the crop insurance, um, I guess it comes from the, the loss adjustment standards handbook, the way that it states uh, guidelines for pollination is that 
you need a minimum of two uh, colonies with six active frames or its equivalent. So you can, like I said, um, sometimes people like to substitute different colony strengths. This means that you could use one and a half colonies per acre at that standard eight frame average, and you'd still be meeting that 12 active frames per acre. So there's a, there's a lot of flexibility, and I think it's up to the grower and, and the beekeeper or pollination provider uh, to sort of work through these things. But there's, there's different ways, um, you know, that you can meet that standard. So for example, um, in this article in West Coast Nut, I, I go through the different scenarios that, um, you know, if you are, if you have been stocking uh, two colonies per acre at an eight frame average, you're actually above that minimum, you're at 16 frames per acre. And so you could maybe think about dropping that down to 1.8 or 1.5 hives per acre at that eight frame average, and you're saving yourself money per acre. Um, or you could even think about going to a lower strength colony, but stocking more per acre. Sometimes that can be um, economically beneficial, or you could go to a higher strength colony and stock even fewer per acre. So maybe like one 12 frame colony per acre. Um, but I, I really encourage growers to talk with their beekeepers because um, like I was talking about earlier, if the if the beekeeper hasn't prepared their colonies to be a 12 frame colony by the time almonds bloom February 15th, um, it's just it's not possible. And so they have to really be preparing the colonies in advance. Um, or in, on the other hand, if they've put all of these inputs into making a 12 frame colony and you go back and say, oh, but I'd really like these much smaller colonies, that's not cost effective for the beekeeper because they've already gone through um, putting those inputs in. And so, yeah, I just encourage growers to really have an open line of communication with the beekeepers or the pollination brokers um, because this is, uh, we're using 80 to 99% of honeybee colonies in the U.S. Um, we're not removing that many almond acres yet. So this is really still a long-term game that you want to make sure that you you keep these relationships with your pollination provider. Yeah, and that's kind of the big thing is that, you know, you want to um, give, you know, yourself an advantage as a grower, but you don't want to be disadvantaging the beekeeper um, and that kind of goes into some of these other ways that growers can work with their pollination provider to to lower pollination expenses. I mean, how can they, what are some other ways they can do that where both parties are, you know, still still benefiting from from that relationship? Yeah, so this is a really good question. And there's lots of different things that growers can do. Um so I recently did a survey of um, beekeepers kind of trying to get at this question of what contract clauses are beneficial. Uh, the beekeepers, the, the one they valued well beyond all of the other ones was actually following the almond best management practices with respect to pesticide applications. So that means, you know, not applying insecticides, which most almond growers don't do that in because it's against the, the label, but 
when you are applying fungicides, uh, you apply them, you know, in the late evening or at night when the bees aren't flying. And that really reduces the risk of um, just pesticide exposure and reduces the risk that the beekeeper is going to lose colonies due to um, that that fungicide exposure or whatever your tank mixing. Um, so that's one way to go about doing it is, is really be aware of the pesticide practices. Um, another thing that growers can consider, uh, you know, cover crops have become sort of a buzzword recently, and you can plant some bee-friendly cover crops. There's the Seed for Bees program with Project 8SM that actually gives you seeds for, I think, two years for free, um, or at least at a highly discounted rate. Um, and so planting things like mustards and canolas uh, that bloom prior to February is really beneficial for the bees because they have that natural source of, of pollen and nectar um, that is a much better food source than, say, you know, sugar syrup and uh, artificial pollen patty. So planting cover crops is another way. Um, but basically, you can talk with your beekeeper about doing a lot of different things. Anything that's going to be beneficial to them, they might consider giving you a discount or uh, maybe just in the future not raising your pollination fees as much, right? And so things like providing yards for them to, like a, a large area for them to stage their bees and kind of go through everything, um, paying it, part of the pollination fee up front is another really good way to potentially, you know, they might offer you a discount if you're paying 40% of the pollination fee before they even get here. Um, and that sort of locks both of you into that contract. And so it's a little bit risk reducing as well. So there's a lot of different things. Those are just a few of the options, but I, I, I think I've seen other things like someone gives a discount if a road to an orchard is paved because it's so much easier if, if it's raining uh, they can still get bees in the orchard. So things like that are are ways to get discounts with your your beekeeper. Certainly. And some of these things just seem like kind of no-brainers uh, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day. Seriously. Right. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah. Definitely. Well, hey, Brittany, thanks for coming on the show today. Again, you know, I think this is the third or or fourth year in a row, we've been able to to do a, a pollination season outlook podcast. So we always appreciate you coming on and, and talking about the outlook, how to cut pollination expenses and other considerations. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you. And I did just want to mention that I have kind of, now that I've done a bunch of these different outlooks over the years, I've kind of archived them. And so if people go to almondpollination.ucdavis.edu, you can find all of the different, um, you know, outlooks that I put together, a link to your podcast and others that I've done. Um, so that's a resource out there for, for other people as well. Fantastic. And uh, also for those listening, I'm sure it's on the website too. Brittany's most recent recent article on the 2024 outlook is in the January edition of West Coast Nut Magazine. Again, Brittany, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. This is Taylor Charleston for My Ag Life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for updates, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.